0: Exploring Washington State Podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. All right. My guest today is Toby Hansen. I know Toby because we're both members of the uh, Independent Order of Odd Fellows. And what little I know of him is that he's an accordion player. So Why don't you fill us in
1: on a little bit more, Toby? (laughs) Uh, Thank you very much, Scott. It's great to be here on your podcast today. And that's all true. Uh, I'm an accordion player. I play the accordion. And uh, most people would say, well, uh, what exactly does that mean? What what kind of music do you play? And for me, being a a full-time professional musician, except for the last year because of the pandemic, (laughs) that means basically I play whatever pays the bills. So it's easier for me to kind of draw a line around stuff that I I play and exclude other things, because there are things that I'm better at and things that I might be able to do, but not as well as others. So to give your listeners an idea, I play accordion. I also play piano. And my area of expertise is in music for social dancing. So uh, I actually work with a variety of different bands. I have a polka band, which is not surprising for an accordionist, and that is the Smiling Scandinavians. I also work with a couple of different country and Western bands, uh, the Jangles, which is a Western swing band out of the North Sound area. Uh, I play with Cowgirls Dream in Tacoma. Occasionally, I sit in with Patty and the Traveling Four out of the Maple Valley area. And then I'm also music director for a Full-size ballroom dance orchestra called the Valse Cafe Orchestra. So i I do a lot of different things. They are mostly all connected to social dance music. So these days in the music business, there's there there just aren't as many opportunities for good-paying live gigs. Except for dance music, dancers are still out there in enough numbers that they will support a band that is playing music for them. So that's where I tend to concentrate my time. I've also done a few things theatrically. Uh, I've produced recordings. I've done some other studio work and things like that. Uh, and I also do uh, some media production on my own. Uh, as you mentioned, we're both members of the Independent Order of Oddfellows. I produce a podcast for Odd Fellows called The Three Link's Oddcast. And I also produce my very own internet radio show. It's called the Scandinavian Polka Party, and that airs on 247polkaheaven.com. So you can look that up and uh, you can hear me doing my DJ voice introducing polkas on the internet. Okay,
0: so I can't not pass up an opportunity to kind of make fun of a polka radio station. I, wow. we're going to come back to that i want to i want to start off we're going to come back to that so my my initial question to you is how did you get started with the accordion
1: well that's an that's an interesting question because The accordion is not an instrument that gets a lot of exposure in mainstream pop music. If all you know about music is what you see on TV or hear on the radio, or maybe watch one of the more popular YouTube channels or something like that, you jump on Spotify and pull up your playlist. I can almost guarantee that if you don't already know the accordion exists, you won't find out about it that way. However, the accordion actually has a a long, interesting history in American music. And so if you go down underneath that surface layer of just what's popular right now, you find the accordion a lot of different places. You know, the biggest area where you're going to find it is ethnic music. So um, Mexican, Italian, French, German, um, Czech, Croatian, Russian, Swedish, basically any European tradition or Any other tradition that's been influenced by European tradition, you will find the accordion. Uh, One time I even had the good fortune to meet an accordionist from Uganda. She had grown up in East Africa and learned to play the accordion because there were some accordion players who happened to be there in Uganda. So if you have any kind of access to what I would call the less popular music of America, you can find the accordion all over the place. For me, I had personal exposure to it. My uncle, uh, he plays the accordion, and he would always play for family events. So when we would have Thanksgiving or birthday parties, Christmas dinner, anything like that, Uncle George would pull out his accordion. He'd start playing. I was fascinated by it. Here's this big black and white box and it's moving around. There are these buttons and keys and it looks so amazing and you get all these different sounds out of it. So I was I was fascinated by that. I was too young at the time to really pick up an accordion and start playing. So I I started out on piano and I took several years of piano lessons. That was my first instrument. When I was in junior high school, I got my first accordion, and I started playing around with it, figuring some things out. My uncle showed me a few things that he knows, and that got me started. Well, when I went away to college, I decided there are so many good pianists in the world if I want to do something distinctive, I need to do it on accordion. So I got really serious. I took several years of accordion lessons. Uh, studied with a great teacher in Puyallup, Gary Dahl. Uh, he taught me, you know, how to really make the accordion into a serious, legitimate musical instrument. So one thing that is unfortunate about the accordion is since there's not a lot of access to good accordion information or education. People will pick it up, figure it out, not get things quite right, and then they will play poorly and propagate that image of this bad instrument that nobody likes. When you hear it played well, it's great and it sounds wonderful, but not enough people get exposed to the really good accordion music because accordion is almost never used in anything that's really popular. So for me, it was kind of a a personal connection through my family. Uh, I've heard all kinds of different answers about people who everything from they found it in a junk shop for 50 bucks and figured they'd start playing it to they heard Zydeco music one time and decided they wanted to pick it up. There are a lot of different paths to the accordion, but they are never straightforward. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, it's certainly not an instrument that was offered in school band when I was in when I was a kid. So t- two two questions about the, about the accordion that I'm curious about. N- number 1 is about when did accordions appear in music? When you know. And then second of all since you say there's bad accordion music, can you describe what the accordion is as an instrument? If that makes any sense
1: yeah that makes a lot of sense so to answer your first question the accordion we know its exact age and date of birth uh, because it was patented in vienna in 1829 so in another eight years we're going to be celebrating the bicentennial of the accordion and at the time early 19th century europe there was a lot of experimentation going on uh, in all fields of science. Uh, some of your listeners who might be familiar with electrical engineering might know the name Charles Wheatstone from the Wheatstone Bridge. So he also invented the concertina that sort of small little hexagonal or octagonal squeeze box the little tiny one and he did that by taking metal reeds putting them on metal plates and then finding a way to force air across those reeds to create a sound you make the reed vibrate you get a sound it's the same way that a harmonica makes sound only instead of blowing through the harmonica with your mouth the harmonica is inside of a box and it has valves and bellows you expand the bellows you open the valve that pulls air across the reed and so you get the accordion so Constantina came first Uh, accordion was patented 1829 Vienna by Cyril Damien then a pilgrim on a religious journey took an accordion with him to Italy Uh, There was a young uh, person, uh, he was, I don't know, 15, 16 years old, in Italy, uh, near the shrine that this pilgrim was going to. His name was Paolo Soprani. He was fascinated by the accordion. And while this pilgrim was staying on his family's farm traveling, he took the accordion apart, figured out how it worked, put it back together again. Then he started making accordions. And this was the genesis of the Italian accordion industry, so it sort of all grew up because of Paolo Soprani and his fascination with the accordion in the mid-19th century. So today, a large portion of the accordions that are made now and uh, played throughout the world are made in one particular town in Italy, Castle Fidardo. There's still a few making accordions in Germany. There's some making in the Czech Republic, uh, some in Russia. A lot of accordion production happens in China now because following the cultural revolution in China, the communist authorities decided the piano was decadent and Western and too expensive for the masses. So they promoted the accordion as a good musical alternative to that. Ah. Oh. So, <laughs> okay, <laughs> it it made the accordion very very popular in China. So to answer your second question, which is what exactly is the accordion? How does it work? Uh, a musicologist would say it's a free reed aerophone. Free reed meaning the reed doesn't vibrate against anything. If you think of a clarinet, the reed hits against the mouthpiece when it's vibrating. Well, an accordion or a harmonica. A harmonium. Those are all free reeds. So the reed doesn't hit against anything when it's vibrating. It vibrates in an aperture. And so this means that the accordion is much more like an organ than it is like a piano because an organ has a sound that sustains for as long as you hold the key. That's true of the accordion. The piano is a very forgiving instrument in that if you hit a wrong note, it goes away quickly. But on the accordion, wrong notes are much less forgiving because the wrong note sounds as long as the key is down. So it is a much less forgiving instrument for those who don't yet have a lot of skill playing it.
0: Okay. Wow. Okay. I get to go. We could continue down the technical rabbit hole, but... We'll do that another time.
1: That's probably about as much technical interest as your listeners have in the accordion. (laughs) Well, where I was going
0: to go and I'll just say uh, many years ago, I used to uh, work for Tacoma Goodwill as the director of online sales. And we would sell antiques and collectibles at auction and we would get a lot of accordions. Oh yeah. A lot of, and they were always different sizes. There was just, you know, different, um fit and finish if you will things like that and without a doubt they would sell people we'd get a lot of buyers and people were buying these things and we were just kind of scratching our heads going why were they buying these things they they almost always smelled really bad like they'd been yes and and like how do you clean this up anyway anyway I, i way digress so you had a family member you got introduced to the accordion you went to college you made the tactical decision that the competition in the piano space was more co- more competitive than in the accordion space you took lessons you still play piano i know that um, yeah you're you started a polka band like in 1995? 1995 1995
1: that is correct
0: and you guys are still pl- well
1: <laughs> you were still playing we were still um, playing we okay. we had a lot of gigs booked last year that got canceled
0: So where, where does a polka band, you were saying it's for social dancing, but where, where were you guys playing around? Were you just in
1: Washington state? Were you going out of the state? Well, we, we used to travel quite a bit. Um, You know, before I had a wife and a family and a lot of things to keep me rooted more locally, we used to travel a lot. Um, Usually a couple trips around the Northwest in the summer uh, as far east as as montana we would play big festivals there um and as far south as medford oregon uh we've also done a couple of special trips through the years uh we've gone back and played at some polka festivals back in the midwest so we did the iron world polka fest uh i think three times in minnesota Hmm. played the medina ballroom outside of the twin cities um in general, the local gigs here, we used to have a couple of dance clubs that specialized in polka music. The last one of those actually shut down in June of 2019, and they were largely made up of midwestern expatriates who missed the experience they had back in minnesota or wisconsin where sunday afternoon after church you go out to the vfw or the american legion and there's a polka band playing and you dance for a couple hours so they missed that Hmm. they formed these clubs here In Washington state. And we used to have quite a few of them. You know, there was one in Wenatchee. There was one in Spokane, one in Yakima. Uh, There were four of them at one time all around the Seattle area. So we would play for those club dances a couple of times a year. There's a few other polka bands in the area. And we would play um, the Filipino American Hall in Algona, the VFW in Renton, uh, the old American Legion that used to be in Bothell, um, you know, places like that. So with that whole demographic of dancers having aged considerably, they're all mostly in their 70s and 80s now. All of those dances are gone. So, locally, we either play for private events. For example, assuming the pandemic lets up by July, uh, we're booked to play a wedding out in Squim because the groom's family is Polish and they're from the Midwest. So, they want a polka band. So, okay, so we do that. Uh, then the other thing that we do a lot of is county fairs and festivals. So. I I think I've played at least half of the county fairs in Washington State and a few down in Oregon. You know, get up early, you drive down to Corvallis, you play the the county fair there, uh, and then you pack up and drive home late at night. So I've done a lot of that kind of stuff as well. And then every now and then we get the opportunity to go out uh, and do something really nice. We've played at the Festival of festival of nations red lodge montana uh, we used to do the kimberly international old time accordion celebration in kimberly british columbia um we've done a few other festivals like i said the polka fest at iron world we've done the scandinavian festival in astoria oregon You know, we travel around to these festivals. We were booked to play the Sons of Norway in Billings, Montana for their 50th anniversary last spring. That had to get canceled, of course. Right. So when I think of the accordion,
0: two things come to mind. Okay. One is kind of that oompa polka thing and the other is Lawrence Welk. Oh yeah. Which like before we hit record I was telling you I used to watch the Lawrence Welk show with my grandmother. It was her I mean it was the sun or excuse me the Saturday night. I mean it was it's what you did. Well yeah. And and you were mentioning that you, you watch it with family too. So I mean I think I think for those of us of a certain age that's maybe what we that's the connector that we have is like if you ever watched Lawrence Welk there was the accordion but you were in a country band, too? How does how does the accordion fit into country and Western music? Because I'm drawing a blank there.
1: Well, that's another area where, for the most part, you'd go, what's he doing in the band? Are, are you <laughs> sure he's really in the band? Yes, I'm really sure. <laughs> I have the hat and boots to prove it. So, if you look at country music prior to when it got super popular, starting in the 1950s, Accordion was actually a really popular instrument for country music because you couldn't always count on having a piano wherever you were playing. But, you know, prior to the age of electric keyboards, the accordion was the next best thing. It was portable. It was the same instrument no matter where you go. So you're always playing your own instrument as opposed to playing whatever piano is sitting on stage at the time. So if you go back before the 1950s, Accordion was a really popular part of country music. There were band leaders like Pee Wee King who wrote the Tennessee Waltz. He played accordion. Uh, he also organized the Musicians Union in Nashville. He started. Um, there's a little disagreement over who first brought drums to the Grand Ole Opry, whether it was Bob Wills or Pee Wee King. Uh, suffice to say, they both did. We're not entirely sure who was first, though. Okay. But that was popular. The accordion was a very popular instrument at that time. What happened in the 1950s is you got sort of a a smoothed over, some people would call it countrypolitan, some people call it the Nashville sound.
0: I've never heard countrypolitan. Sorry, that's... I like that. I like that.
1: All of a sudden, the, the sort of um, Patsy Montana... And Kitty Wells, Carter family, kind of rustic, old-fashioned, back-in-the-woods kind of sound got replaced with this smooth, polished, you know, really highly produced sound. Instead of a fiddle player, you had a whole string section. And you had these very orchestral-sounding arrangements, and that's when Patsy Mm -hmm. Cline got popular. So when you went to this smoother, almost big orchestral sounds the accordion got left behind in country music because it was seen as one of those rustic old hillbilly instruments with the fiddle and the banjo you know country music has gone through many different iterations with that kind of more rough hewn sound coming back and being popular and then you know taking a back seat again the accordion never rebounded with country music so even though there were people like Jimmy Dean, you know, these days he's known more for his sausage, but he was a, a great country music star. He played the accordion. Uh, oh. And, of course, Pee Wee King, almost nobody remembers him nowadays, but he played the accordion Uh the one person that most people would know nowadays and have probably heard his playing without knowing his name is my friend Joey Misculin, uh, who worked as a session player in Nashville for many years. Um, he works with Riders in the Sky. So if you see Riders in the Sky, you see the accordion player with them. That's my buddy Joey. He played on a lot of the popular records out of Nashville, like about 1990 through 2015 or so. His biggest selling one was that big hit record that Shania Twain had. Um, I don't remember the name of it, but he played on that. So the accordion on Shania Twain, that's all my friend Joey Misculin. So it's there. It's almost unknown as like a main Featured instrument in country music, but if you go back and look at the roots, it was there. In fact, here's a trivia question that uh, you can amaze your friends with. So, when Bill Monroe first started out with his band, before they were the Bluegrass Boys, when he was just running an old timey band, he had an accordion player in the band named Sally Forrester. And she was in the band mostly because her husband played fiddle. He was also in the band. So she was playing with Bill Monroe. Well, her husband left the band, so she decided to leave the band, too. Bill Monroe replaced them with the duo of Lester Flat and Earl Scruggs. And in that moment, Bluegrass was born.
0: Yeah, and has exploded in popularity and awareness across multiple genres of music. It's it bluegrass is seemingly everywhere nowadays in a lot of things. Okay. Yeah. So we always talk, the episodes we always like to talk to you guys about Washington state and all that. So you're you're a native Washingtonian. Two two part question. What is the venue that you've played at in any any of your bands? It doesn't matter which band. That you think is the most desirable to play at as a musician? And then the flip side to that is if you were to go see a performer perform, where would you want to see them perform at?
1: That is a really great question, because I've had the opportunity to do some wonderful shows all over the state. Um, You know, everything from the Okanagan County Fair uh, to the Fest that's held at Nacelle High School. So I've got to play a lot of really wonderful venues. I would have to say probably the best combination of everything is the Elks Lodge in Port Angeles. It is a beautiful old building. It's just gorgeous. I I think it was built sometime in the 1920s and they have a beautiful ballroom. I think it's on the second floor. They've got balconies on the third floor, overlooking the ballroom. The stage is gorgeous and Unlike a lot of places that were you know, more so built for looks and not necessarily functionality, that venue has a really good combination of uh, just easy access for performers. It's easy to walk in, set up, get things ready. Good technical crew. I was there most recently for part of the Wanda Fuca Festival, which is a wonderful festival they have out in Port Angeles. Um, And it's just, it sounds good. They have good people there. It's really easy to do. And it has the kind of uh, setup where from the stage, I am just far enough away from the crowd that I I can really watch the room easily and see how the performance is going over. But at the same time, people are close enough that I can interact when I need to. And that's, that's an important thing, because I'll tell you a little side story about what happens when you are too close to the audience. <laughs> a few years ago, the city of Enumclaw decided they wanted to put on an Oktoberfest. And so, of course, having a polka band, um, I said, sure, I, you know, I'll come out and play. So they set up a very low stage, uh, about a foot high in one end of one of their big multi-purpose buildings. And that was not so bad in and of itself, but at an Oktoberfest, there's a tendency for people to drink maybe a little too much beer. And so being Claw with a heritage of growing cucumbers and making pickles, they had a pickle wench, who is a, a woman in a, a very suggestive costume, And she she sold these gigantic dill pickles for a dollar. So she's going around with her basket full of pickles and tongs selling these pickles for a dollar. So I was in the middle of performing on stage, singing a song with a microphone in front of me. And these two guys who had really had probably more beer than they needed for the day came up to me with this pickle they'd already taken a couple bites out of. And offered it to me and kept trying to jam it into my mouth while I was singing. And first of all, I do not like pickles. I'm one of those people who believes that pickles are cucumbers soaked in evil. And number two, even if I liked pickles, I don't want your pickle after you've taken a couple bites out of it. Number three, I especially don't want to eat pickles while singing. (laughs) So that's that is what happens when. There is not enough separation from the audience. Now, as far as a venue where I like to go and see other performers, there are a couple that are very high on my list. First of all, uh, in Yakima, they have a beautiful park along the river and they have this green belt uh, with a little pond and a concrete stage in the middle of the pond. Uh, I've performed on that stage and I've also seen other performers there. It is absolutely beautiful. You cannot imagine a better outdoor setting for a performance. You know, sure, everybody loves the gorge, but as far as a a small local show where you can really get the performance experience up close, Sarge Hubbard Park there in Yakima with the stage in the middle of the pond, because in the afternoon, the sun starts sinking low in the west, getting close to the mountains. You get this beautiful sunset And this wonderful stage, and you're out there, and it's just beautiful. As far as an indoor venue, my favorite indoor venue has to be the Century Ballroom in Seattle. And partially that's for sentimental reasons, because Century Ballroom is in the old Grand Lodge building for the Odd Fellows on Capitol Hill in Seattle. So it's this beautiful, you know, 1908 Italian revival building on Capitol Hill. It's absolutely gorgeous in there. The stage is beautiful. It's got this golden arch with proscenium lights and a this gigantic chandelier in the middle. It's just a stunning location. Uh, and also, I happen to know the owner there, and she is just the most wonderful person, really great venue host for performers, and so I I always love going to the Century, especially when I can get a table up in the balcony, so you can take in the whole experience with the show and the people and the setting. It's just incredible.
0: Okay, I've not ever heard of the Yakima venue, so that's amazing, uh, and the Century Ballroom is is amazing too. So so this is a hard question to ask you what we always, I i, I run through these questions with people, but I mean, this is a great question for me. Like when we're talking to like a, a business owner or, a, you know, someone who's a creative, that's creating a product. And I know you I know your music is a, is, is art and is a product, but I, I hate to call music a product. It just seems weird. Did you ever think you had a great idea? I don't know what type of band or a song or just something. And it didn't go well, but you thought it was going to be brilliant.
1: Well, I mean, in some ways you could (laughs) say that's my entire career. Cause I, I I thought uh, when I was in college, I thought that uh, the coolest thing in the world was going to be starting a polka band and that everybody would just instantly love it. Because when people actually hear good polka music, they love it. They're like, wow, this is good. It's well played. It's very musical. It's lively and upbeat. And I, I feel happy just listening to it. But the th- the thing about that is you can only get that kind of exposure if you really go looking for it. It's almost impossible to just sort of casually stumble across polka music somewhere being played I mean, unless you're in an area where it is more common than, you know, the Midwest. But even then, it is so far outside the idea of what is popular that people don't even know what to make of it. You know, that's why when I introduce myself to people who don't have any background, uh, I would say that I play accordion and piano because if I say I play accordion, then they, their usual reaction is just, what? You play, what does that <laughs> even mean to play accordion? It's, well, I play music on an accordion. But they, it's so hard for people to sort of relate to that. They just don't know. They're like, what do I say? How do I talk to this person? I, it doesn't make sense. So I have, I have looked at this. You know, for 25 years now, I've had the polka band and we play and we've become one of the most popular first call bands when it comes to big events like Oktoberfests and things. The Leavenworth Oktoberfest, we play that every year. We do the Oktoberfest at Joint Base Lewis McCord. Um, we've done the one they used to hold in Monroe. We've done the one in Puyallup. We've got done the one down in Vancouver. We've played at all the different brew pubs and places that have private October fests, but that is a niche that works for six weeks out of the year.
0: I was just going to say September and October, you're, you're turning away gigs and then you're starving the rest of the year.
1: Exactly. I, literally i triple my prices in the fall september and october i can basically name what i want to get paid and the big events will pay it in fact um to pull back the curtain a little bit to what the business side of music is like um frequently i have to bid on gigs because event planners they will put out a call and say hey uh, we're looking for anybody who can do this event at this time send us a bid so i'll put in A bid one time uh for a big event that was uh somewhere up in the north sound area, I don't remember exactly where, uh, for the whole weekend of performances for my five piece band, I bid twenty five hundred dollars. The guy called me back right away. He said, Oh, if you're available, I'll I'll send you a contract right now. I thought, Great, that's fantastic. I'm so glad. And then then comes the kicker. He tells me I'm used to working with pop acts, and I thought you were going to be at least twice as expensive as what you bid. <laughs> and you're like, well, "Well, wait, wait, I can be. Yeah, just I can. A yeah. <laughs> just, uh, just add another zero to that. That's fine. Go ahead. That's fine. Uh, it's fine. Go ahead. I'm okay with that. Do it. <laughs> so it's wow. you know it's kind of that idea that when it's in demand for that little slice of the year. I wish I could clone myself. Man, if I could clone myself, I could play nine gigs a week, September and October. But wow. it is hard to do that when you have a five piece band. Some of the guys are still working day jobs. Um, you know, others have family obligations and things like that. So it's, it's challenging to make something like that really functional. Um, the rest of the year. But that's that's why we also do things like work on recordings. Uh, in fact, in 2016, we released uh, our most recent recording called 20 Years, and that was in honor of our 20th anniversary in 2015. That album was nominated for album of the year by the Cleveland-style Polka Hall of Fame back in Cleveland, Ohio. So, in 2017 i got to go to cleveland and participate in the award show now i did not win the award unfortunately it's hard to beat the hometown favorites after all it is the cleveland style polka awards so i'm competing with all the guys that everybody back in cleveland knows and listens to regularly but you know we we do those other kinds of things. We have videos on YouTube. Uh, you can get our music on iTunes, Amazon, Google, Spotify, all those sorts of places. So
0: I'm going to ask you because I'm scrolling through a your official links page. Here, yes, and you and you you said the two words combined. So I have to ask, and because I talked to you before this, there's Cleveland style polka music. Yeah, how would you? How would you define Cleveland style? And then can you contrast it to another?
1: What other polka style is there? Well, all of the different polka styles have their roots in an ethnic community. One of the interesting things about polka music as a group is it was popular in Europe from about 1850 to 1920 or so. And it was music really of... The peasants, the farmers, the blue collar workers, you know, kind of the people who emigrated here to North America, they brought that music with them. So what we would now think of as polka bands, you know, accordion, clarinet, banjo, tuba, drum, something like that. Those were all rooted in ethnic ensembles. So you'd have the Polish band that would play at the Polish Catholic Church for the Polish wedding receptions. And then down the street in the next neighborhood over, you'd have the German band that plays for the German events at the German Lutheran Church. And so each ethnic group had its own musical tradition. When you get to uh, America, the second generation, the American born generation is here they grow up with that music, but there's starting to be more cultural mixing between these different ethnic groups. So instead of the Italians just staying in the Italian community, they're starting to interact with other communities. Well, that's what kind of gave rise to what we think of as American polka music. It's this mix of different ethnic groups. So each one of these ethnic groups inspired a style. Of Polka music with its own characteristics. So basically, the four big groups that you think of for Polka music are the Polish, the Germans, the Czechs, and the Slovenians. The Polish, they have wonderful traditions, singing in the Polish language. Um, you know, it stars like Eddie Blazonczyk, uh Frank Wojnarowski, Jean Wyshnewski, Walt Solik, uh Marian Lush. You know a whole bunch of guys with Polish names playing Polish music for Polish polka fans that music tends to be um, a little bit slower and more laid back kind of loose phrasing then you get the Germans and that tends to be faster uh, very much brass band style if you ever go to Leavenworth and you hear the town band playing that is exactly the German style that's okay. they they recreate it beautifully in Leavenworth. So that's the Germans. The Czechs, uh, somewhat similar to the German style. Um, anywhere that the Czechs settled, you get the uh, the Czech music. So the Great Plains, um, Minnesota, Iowa, Nebraska, Kansas, all the way down into Texas. Uh, and then the other group is the Slovenians. And the Slovenians gave us America's polka king, Frankie Yankovic. He was the first big star of polka music coming out of the late 1940s, just after World War II. He had the hits Just Because, the Blue Skirt Waltz. Um, He was actually signed to Columbia Records, if you can imagine that. For those old enough to remember large record companies that used to promote and distribute (laughs) records... He had a contract with Columbia Records for 20 years. Anything the man released sold and made money for Columbia because there were enough fans of polka music. And so the Slovenian community was all centered around Cleveland, Ohio. That was the area where most Slovenes emigrated to in this country. So the Slovenian style of music, it. Basically, it kind of Americanized and became the Cleveland style. So if you listen to Frankie Yankovic, that's what you're going to hear. That's Cleveland style. You know, it's either two accordions, banjo, bass and drums, or it's accordion, clarinet, banjo, bass and drums. It's very much rhythmically driven by the banjo, accordions playing lead, clarinet doing kind of Dixieland style fills um, here in the Pacific Northwest. We have a large Scandinavian population, which, of course, when I picked a name for my band with the last name Hanson, that is (laughs) as Swedish a name as you can possibly get. So I, I had to pick a name that somehow incorporated that heritage because if I had chosen the Jolly Germans with the last name Hansen, people would have gone, wait, wait a minute. You're not German. Hansen isn't a German name. That's Swedish. So, you know, I, I kind of had to uh, incorporate that uh, when I picked the name for the band. Because otherwise, it, it it is a little bit tough. If you're in an area that has these distinct polka styles, like if you go around Chicago and you want to hear polka music, it's almost 100% Polish. You're going to hear Polish style bands. Uh, and if you go to Cleveland, it's going to be almost 100% Slovenian. You go to Buffalo, that's a very Polish town. So you're going to hear Polish. Now, if you're in Omaha, Nebraska, you're going to hear Czech music. And that's that's just the way that those areas are because the communities are there and that's the music they want to hear.
0: So your band, what do you, do do you cross over and play the various styles? What, where are you guys at with stylistically?
1: Well, given that there's not a, a large community of people who want just one style of music, we have to be able to cover a little bit of everything. so we do lots of scandinavian because of course that's my background so i grew up hearing that music and we also do probably i would say a big chunk of german and a big chunk of slovenian a little bit of czech and just a teeny bit of polish because we we don't have much of a polish community here in the northwest so i can sing part of one song in polish and I can do one song in Slovenian the, the rest when I'm doing a foreign language tune, it's either going to be Swedish or German or Norwegian and, you know, basically the Scandinavian music and the German, because that's where we tend to get most of our work and most of the interest from. Okay. So I want to,
0: put you on the spot i don't know that you can accomplish this for me or i don't know that this this is this is where we're going to go off the rails okay i don't not scripted so here we go so be prepared for a no folks do you have your accordion or a accordion nearby and would you break it out
1: well sure yeah i've got it right We've never
0: tried to record music on the music episode so this could be entertaining um i if you're willing I'd i'd love for you to put something together all right well i
1: will grab it right now
0: Okay, so while he's doing that, I'm just going to ramble, and this totally was not scripted. So we're going to pause, and he's back. So, Toby, what I would like, if you can... Oh, you don't have your headphones on. You can't hear me. So, Toby, what I would like is, can you... And this is going to be awkward because it's going to be a verbal description of a visual thing. Can you kind of explain and I'll put a picture of an accordion on the show notes page, but can you describe the key components of the accordion?
1: I can do that for you. We'll start in the middle. That's where the bellows are. That's the the part that is folded. So if you have an accordion door in your house, one that folds up, uh, it's named an accordion door because it has folds like the bellows. That's the part that does the breathing. The accordion is a reed instrument um, it's actually, you know, using air to make a reed vibrate. So you need to move air through the instrument. The bellows do that by expanding and contracting. On the left side of the bellows, that's where all the little buttons are. And a full-size accordion like the one I have here has 120 buttons on it. There are different kinds of chords, major, minor, dominant seventh and diminished seventh and then you get a couple rows of bass notes so you can put those together in uh, various combinations over on the right side of the instrument that's where the piano keys are now some accordions have buttons over on the right side as well uh, but most of the accordions you see here in north america they're going to be piano accordions the piano keys were put onto the accordion to make it easy for pianists to switch over and play accordion
0: so how many keys are on
1: that on that side 41 okay so it's just a little over three octaves
0: okay so then to make sound you have to keep the bellows working correct because like if you were to push on a key right now and the accordion is closed if you will you get there's no sound
1: no sound nothing i'm pressing the key right now and there's no sound it does not matter how hard you press the keys because okay. the keys themselves, they just open valves to let air through the reeds. Okay. So it's not like a guitar or a piano where you can interact with it on a mechanical basis and suddenly get sound out of it. You have okay. to have the bellows moving. There has to be air going through the reeds. So
0: depending on how much air you're putting through the bellows, then is how much sound correspondingly
1: comes out that's correct and in fact the way i teach this to my students is the faster you move the bellows the more air you move and the more sound you get so we we refer to bellows velocity uh instead of say pressure or something else like that
0: okay and then one last question before i turn you loose on this thing so i was looking on your facebook page and it looks like you just picked up a new accordion. I did. And and is that the one that you have right there by chance? It
1: is this very instrument.
0: Okay. So I thought I read something about it having, is there a microphone in that thing? Is there, is there a, is what
1: did I, I might've completely misconstrued that, but no, you are correct. There, it's difficult to use external microphones on an accordion. And the reason for that is the instrument is moving around while it's playing. Now a guitar stays basically in one place. So you put a microphone in front of a guitar and except for a few small movements by the player. The microphone stays where it needs to because the guitar stays. The accordion is moving around, so it's a challenge to put a microphone on an accordion when it's moving around. The solution that's been used for about the last 50, 60 years has been to put microphones inside the accordion. And uh, I got to give a shout out to my friends at Potosa Accordions uh, up in Linwood because I just got this instrument back from them. They did a little bit of tuning on it and then they installed these beautiful new condenser microphones inside the instrument so that I can play it and just plug a chord into it like with a guitar. So that way I don't have to worry about You know, if I'm moving around while I'm playing and not being in front of the microphone.
0: Okay. So they are, so they do mic then the inside in the bellows area. Is that where the mic? That would make, that would be where I would think the microphone would be.
1: Originally, microphones were suspended in the bellows in the middle. Nowadays, what they do, since uh, we have smaller microphones, these things are just tiny, like maybe a quarter of an inch long for the microphone capsules. They actually put them on a strip under the grill on the right side. And then they put a couple of microphones um, next to the bass mechanism on the left side. So that way you can, you can get true stereo isolation of the two sides. And I actually have a stereo output on this so that I can adjust each channel individually.
0: So this thing's playing in, well, you're, it's being amplified in stereo. It's
1: being amplified in stereo.
0: Okay. So, all right. So,
1: Please play something. All Um, right. Since this accordion came to me from Cleveland, uh, I'm going to do one of the old Yankovic classics just because. Just because you think you're so pretty Just because you think you're so hot Just because you think you've got something That nobody else has got you caused me to spend all my money You have and call me old Santa Claus Well, I'm telling you, baby, I'm through with you Because, just because
0: To watch up close, that's you know, not something you see every day.
1: Well, thank you.
0: So, you said this was a
1: full size accordion, full size
0: that implies that there are other sizes. Am I correct in that?
1: That is correct uh, because not everybody has the same size and shape of body, not everybody's going to play the same size of instrument. That's one nice thing about the accordion is you can get. Uh, an instrument that fits exactly what you need.
0: Okay. All right. So we'll wrap this up. Why don't you tell our audience where they can hear more and or find more out about you and your band and accordion in general? We'll let you do
1: that. Well, um, coming up, uh, the... The last Saturday in February, what's the date of that 27th? I think I
0: believe that to be true.
1: February 27th, uh, there is an event called Day of the Accordion. Now, in pre-pandemic times, that used to take place live on stage at the Crossroads Shopping Center in Bellevue. However, this year. Because of the pandemic, the Northwest Accordion Society is going online. We are doing a virtual version of day of the accordion. So we've got uh, a playlist that we are putting together on YouTube with all of our region's finest accordionists. So I'm on there a couple of times. We have some other fantastic, really talented, great players uh, from this area. They're all going to be featured there. Um, it's NWAS news. That's Northwest Accordion Society, so nwasnews.org. You can go there and get all the information for Day of the Accordion. Uh, That's going to be released on YouTube on Saturday, February 27th. So you want to find out more about the accordion, that's a great place to do it. If you are interested in the accordion, you can certainly go to that same website. Uh, that's the website for the Northwest Accordion Society. We have a lot of great opportunities Coming up uh, in June, assuming that uh, the pandemic lets up a little, we have our Leavenworth International Accordion Celebration in Leavenworth, Washington, and that's always Father's Day weekend. So Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we fill the town with accordionists, accordion music. We have workshops. We have concerts with great accordionists. We don't think we are going to be able to do the big version of that this year uh, we had to cancel it completely last year but that's a good opportunity and then in the end of august there's the rose city accordion camp that happens outside of portland uh, i'm going to be an instructor there this year so i will be teaching it's open to accordionists of varying skill levels so um you know as long as you know how to put on the accordion we can teach you something there so that's good that's all the accordion kind of stuff Uh, you can also find me if you want to look up the polka band that is smiling scandinavians now there's no g on smiling it's not smiling it's smiling s-m-i-l-i-n i did that so that people would remember the name because you have to remember that there's no G so it's smiling you can find out about all of our recordings there uh, another good place if you want to hear our music uh, our albums are available on Spotify iTunes music store Google Amazon all the usual online places that you can get music uh, you can look up the smiling Scandinavians and you can find me there and then uh, as far as if you want to hear me as a DJ on the radio, just go to 247 polkaheaven.com. That's the numbers 247. Polkaheaven.com and it's a 24-hour streaming polka radio station centered in Cleveland, Ohio. They broadcast. Uh they actually have a a terrestrial radio station there in Cleveland that carries some of the programming. And it streams on the internet for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Uh, We have a lot of different variety of polka programs. There are guys who do Polish shows, German, Czech, Slovak, Slovenian, Croatian. Uh, I do a Scandinavian show on there. And you can get all the information for the network at 247polkaheaven.com.
0: All right. Well, thank you very much. This was very informative and actually a lot of fun for me. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time on on your day, and um,
1: yeah, thank you. Hey, <laughs> thank you, Scott. It's been fantastic. Uh, I'm always happy to uh, come on and talk about my life as a musician, and especially here in the beautiful state of Washington, because not only am I a native, uh, my family homesteaded here in the oh, 1880s really? so my my roots go back uh, almost 150 years uh right here in pierce county so okay. uh, i'm always happy to come on and talk about washington state and uh pretty much anything else all right well thanks so much <laughs> all right thank you